to begin your way going to 2 Peter 3.15. Before I go there, I want to um, just thank all the VBS workers once again. We had so many wonderful workers here this past week, and also the weeks before it, helping with VBS and helping after VBS with cleanup too, and I'm just so grateful for all of our helpers. It was a wonderful week. Um, let me introduce this. You know, we, we think about pain and suffering and trials and tribulations and People always, you know, the age-old question people always want to ask is why? Why does God allow pain and suffering and trials and tribulation? And I'm going to touch on that here in a little bit. But I read an article which referenced a video about how wolves change rivers. And I'm going to describe the video in a minute. I thought about playing it, but it was slightly longer than... uh, I try to keep video clips less than three minutes... Uh, in a service, and this was a little longer. If you want to look it up later, let me know. I'll get it to you. But in this video, a slightly too exuberant yet delightfully British narrator recounts the changes that resulted from the entrance of a pack of wolves into the ecosystem of Yellowstone National Park. Now, if we think of wolves entering an area, most of us would not be that excited. You know, we don't, throughout most of human history, they did not like wolves in their area. But in this case, the wolves helped. Let me continue to describe it. It turns out that the deer overpopulation had left massive portions of the park barren. Constant grazing had turned valleys into wastelands. The lack of vegetation had caused soil erosion, which destabilized the banks of the river, slowing the flow of water. The lack of sufficient water and vegetation in turn forced wildlife to move on. In short, life was fading from the park because of the overpopulation of deer and certain other animals. But then they had a pack of wolves move in. Do you think it would be life-enhancing for a pack of predators to be released into a national park? Most of, most of us would think, no, we don't want to re-release or release a pack of predators into a national park. But it turns out that that was the best thing that could happen. The wolves predictively killed a few deer, thinning out the the population. However, that was not the most significant change. The remaining deer were forced to move to higher terrain and abandon the grasslands of the valleys. This difficulty brought a blessing, which the hardship uh, sometimes can bring joy. The wolves changed the rivers. These areas that had been mown down for so long then began to regrow at an accelerated rate. Aspen trees quintupled in size in less than six years. This growth brought back birds to nest in the branches and beavers to eat the wood. The return of the beavers meant the return of beaver dams, which created pools that allowed for the repopulation of fish, otters, ducks, muskrats, reptiles, and amphibians. The wolves also cleared out some of the coyotes, which caused rabbits and mice to return. This led to the return of hawks, weasels, foxes, and badgers. Yet, the most amazing impact occurred in the river itself. Because grasses were allowed to regrow, the soil collapsed less, allowing for firmer riverbanks, which gave the river flow greater direction, which reinforced the animal habitats. In short, the entrance of a few wolves created a whole world of good in Yellowstone National Park, transforming wastelands into lush valleys teeming with life. So it turns out the best thing to, do, uh, to promote life in Yellowstone at that time 
was to release a few wolves back into the park. Sometimes we look at difficult times and we think, what's the point? Many times these difficult times are being used to grow us, to mature us. To, the theological word would be to sanctify us, which means to, to make us more holy, more like Christ. Many would argue we don't grow without difficult times. We don't grow at all without difficult times. There's a Tozer devotional I read this morning that said all, the, all of the people, the Christian writers of the past had gone through many difficult times which God used when they wrote whatever they wrote. Many of the great hymn writers of the, of the past, Fanny Crosby of one who was blind, but many, many others went through tragedies to write those hymns. And even in modern times, um, there's a certain hymn I'm reminded of, I can't think of the title, but uh, they were going through a very difficult tragedy when they wrote certain hymn. God uses our pain and suffering to bring, out, to bring about refining, to bring about growth. We are completing a sermon series on life's healing choices today. And I was going to review the choices, but I'm not. But, you know, we've gone over these eight different choices from the book Life's um, Hurts, Habits, and Life's, from the book Life's Hurts, Habits, and Hangups and their healing choices. And some of you here have probably gone through this whole sermon series, all, all eight of them, and you think, why am I not getting, getting that much help? And, and I would ask you to review, have you really gone through eight of these principles? And are you really allowing the church, the community, to help you with your hurts, habits, and hang-ups? Are you denying some of the hurts, habits, and hang-ups? Many of us are in denial. You know what happens many times? We don't recognize our hurt, habit, or hang-up, so we blame other people instead. We, 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 would, we would blame others. It's, it's their fault rather than realizing it's our own anxiety. It's our own control issues. It's our own you know, addiction. It's our own whatever it may be. So you're really going through those eight choices. Also, I would commend Celebrate Recovery to any of you. And I would be glad to refer you to any one of the Celebrate Recovery groups. They are, they're a safe place for you to work through these different um, eight principles. And also, if you do the step study, it's an extremely safe place for an intense time of six months to a year to walk through these. And I would be glad to talk to any of you. We need the church community. And that's one thing suffering in many of our churches is strong community relationships, strong small groups. These eight principles are very biblical. Confession is very biblical. Reflection is very biblical. Daily devotions is extremely biblical. And in fact, many times when one reflects after they get into an addiction or something like that, when one reflects what happened, how they, how they fall back, how they backslide, it goes back to a lack of time with the Lord, a lack of a relationship with the Lord, a lack of daily devotions. Well, so today is step eight, and my theme is, my theme today is don't waste your pain. Share your testimony with others, including how God rescued you. When you're rescued, you want to share that with others. Share your testimony with others. Share how you got help with others. Don't waste your pain. Let's read 1 Peter 3.15. Hopefully you're all there. Uh, 1 Peter 3.15 says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. By the way, never forget that little tagline at the end, gentleness and reverence. 
I'm hearing sirens in the background. I like to pray when I hear sirens. Let's just pause. I don't know what's going on, but the Lord does. Lord God, I hear sirens, and I don't know what's going on, but you do. And likely EMTs or paramedics or police or firefighters are going somewhere. And Lord, I just pray that you'd be in that situation. Whatever's going on, I pray that you would provide knowledge and help and support and wisdom and guidance to the helpers and provide help to whoever's in need. And I also ask that you'd further your kingdom. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Peter 3.15, so sanctify, that means to set apart. Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense of the hope that is in you. You know that our vision statement for this year for Bethel is that we would fulfill the Great Commission by being contagious Christians. Part of being contagious Christians is that we share how God helps us. Don't waste your pain. When God helps you, share that with others. Too often we retreat, and that's actually why our pain continues. We retreat. We, we put up barriers. We put up borders. And hopefully once we get help, we share that with others. There are others that need the same help that we had or that we need. By the way, we are all in process. We are all dealing with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And I really honestly believe if you're here and you're thinking you don't have a hurt, habit, or hang-up, you're lying to yourself. And that makes your hurt, habit, or hang-up worse. Because none of us is perfect. None of us can walk on water, right? We won't be perfect until we're in heaven with Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We won't be sinless. And as long as sin is in the world and we're dealing with the sin nature we have and the sins of others, we have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Let God help you work through these steps and then share it with others. Share the help you got. So why does God allow pain? God has given us free will. We've talked about that. We've talked about that. We notice that in the creation narrative, Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. We have free will. God gave Adam and Eve free will. God has given us all free will ever since then. And we are all impacted by our choices. And we're also impacted by the free will of others. We now exist in a creation that has had centuries, millennia, you know, some 6,000 years of free will. And we're impacted by that. If we choose to be sexually promiscuous and get a sexually transmitted disease, we bear the consequences of our own bad choice. Do you see the dilemma? God will not overrule your will. God doesn't send anybody to hell. I didn't write this. This comes from um, the book, Life's Healing Choices. God does not send anybody to hell. We choose to go there by rejecting his will for us. God loves you and wants you to be part of his family. But if you thumb your nose at God and walk away from him, you can't blame anyone but yourself. That is free will. And that causes our hurts, habits, and hang-ups. God uses our pain to get our attention, too. We have free will. God uses our pain to get our attention. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 is beautiful about this. Paul writes, Now I rejoice not that you were made sorrowful, but you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. So God can allow us to go through hurts, habits, and hang-ups to the point where we repent and we turn to him. Another example of pain getting our attention is Jonah. You probably all know the story of Jonah. Jonah in the, in the great fish. And in Jonah chapter 2, verse 7, Jonah is in the belly of the fish. can't imagine what that's like. Don't really want to find out either. Jonah's in the belly of the fish. And, and it says this in verse 7. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you. 
into your holy temple. There's Jonah fleeing from God, and God lets him run. God wanted to use him, but at first God lets him run. The end of Jonah chapter 1, Jonah is thrown overboard into the sea, swallowed up by a fish. By the way, it says the Lord appointed the fish. The Lord had already sovereignly chosen the fish to swallow Jonah, and there Jonah is in the belly of the fish, and Jonah remembers the Lord. Now, Jonah had his hurts, habits, and hang-ups. If you read the rest of the book later on, he still had some issues to deal with. God uses our pain also to teach us to depend upon him. God allows pain to give us ministry to others too. So we have our free will. God uses pain to get our attention. God uses pain to teach us to depend upon him. Because oftentimes we won't without struggles and hardships. And God allows pain to give us a ministry to others. In Genesis chapter 50 verse 20, there's um, Joseph. And Joseph is with his brothers. His brothers think now that Jacob has died, Joseph is going to get back at them. And Joseph says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. God can take our pain and suffering and turmoil. God can take a terrible situation and turn around and use it for good. In the book, Life's Healing Choices, the writer writes this. Who better to help an alcoholic than someone who has struggled with alcoholism? Who better to help someone dealing with the pain of abuse than one who has also uh, suffered abuse? Who can better help the person who lost a job and went bankrupt than somebody who's experienced the same thing? Who can better help the parents of a teenager who's going off the deep end than a couple who had a child who did the same thing? God wants to use and recycle the pain in your life to help others. I like that. God wants to use and recycle the pain in your life to help others. But you've got to be open and honest about it. If you keep that hurt to yourself, you're wasting it. God wants to recycle your hurts, your hangups, and your habits to help others, just like others have likely helped you by telling their story to you and how God has helped you. So how can you use your pain to help others? You share your story. Everybody has a story. This is, this is really just testimonial evangelism. Sharing what God has done in your life to other people. It's simple. It's about sharing your testimony. 1 Peter 3.15 Always being ready to give an answer of the hope that is within us. We all have hope within us if we know Christ, right? We all have hope within us. How many are we sharing it with? By the way, many times we think that we're just... Well, hopefully we don't. I should just back up. But I already started the illustration, so I'll finish it. Many times we might think that we're just doing good as disciples. And we might pat ourselves on the back, and, and which we need to be careful of spiritual arrogance to begin with. But remember, disciples make disciples. Disciples make disciples. If we are not sharing Jesus with other people, we are not really being a disciple of the Lord. So 1 Peter 3.15, always being ready to give an answer to the hope that is within us, but doing so with gentleness and respect... So we share our story with others. Share your testimony with others. Share how you came to know Christ as Lord and Savior with others. Share how God has helped you. Sharing your testimony is simple. Share about your life before Christ. How, how were you before you came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? How did, Christ, how did Christ rescue you from certain things? How did Christ help you with certain things? When you are rescued, you share about it. You, you, you applaud the rescuer. You celebrate it. God is our rescuer. He has rescued us. Share about that. Celebrate that. Share how Christ helped you with anger and anxiety or alcohol or pornography or lust or or eating disorders or many other things. Share how God helped you. Share how you came to know Christ. 
Share how you came to know Christ. And share about your life after Christ. For many of us, probably all of us, definitely all of us, we all have hurts, habits, and hang-ups even after we come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. Share about them. Share about how Christ has helped you. Don't waste your pain. Let it be used to be recycled to help other people. We all have a testimony, and we need to accept our mission, the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says he's with us always to the end of the age. That's the Great Commission. That's Bethel Friends Church's mission statement. We need to, that's, that's Jesus' instructions to us, to go make disciples. None of us would be here today if it weren't for other people sharing the gospel with others, making disciples. As we share our testimony with others, how, as we share about how God has helped us, remember to be humble. Don't, don't applaud yourself. Applaud Jesus. Jesus needs to be the main character. I've listened to too many testimonies where Jesus is not the main character. And that's where I'm always kind of a little weary at testimonies at church sometimes. Because sometimes we make it about self and not about God. It's all about Jesus. Be humble. Be real. Don't lecture. Write about it. Write your story out on paper. Don't waste your pain. Allow God to use it for good. As I've said, we all have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. We all have things that we, that we, that, that we are fighting through that, that as God grows us up in our relationship with Him. And we need to remember and we need to reflect on ourselves rather than blame other people. I've referenced some of my own hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and believe me, I have them, and God is working on me just like hopefully He's working on you, on all of you. And, you know, there's a lot of debate. There's always been debate about whether how much is genetic and how much is learned. How many traits does someone have that is genetic and how much is learned? And I think there's a lot that is genetic, and I know that by looking at my almost 8-year-old Mercedes. Because I just look at her and the things that she says, the things that she does, and I think... Whoa, that is so me. <laughs> so, um, including her ability to argue, by the way. Um, Mercedes is already, and, and at a very young age, had already become extremely type A, extremely scheduled, extremely ordered. Some of you have already probably seen that if you've worked with the children or, or seen her. She started a few years ago, and I, I'm telling you, I think I can almost promise we did not teach her to tell time and watch the clock. But she started wanting to watch the clock. She started wanting to know, when are we going to do this? When are we going to do that? And then she learned she could have a watch. And when she was in preschool, we had a preschool at my last church. And there was a preschool teacher, wonderful teacher, but she was just forgetful. And Mercedes would remind her about the schedule all the time. Now, that can be a good thing until it becomes an obsessive compulsion and until it becomes, you know, something that has to be that way. A few weeks ago, a month ago, we were at uh, Disney World. And some of those that were with us can know it, including one of our, one of our trip leaders. Uh, and she kept asking, what are we doing next? What time are we doing this? When are we doing this? And I'm reminded, when I was in first grade, I started wearing a watch. Pretty much worn it ever since then. I like order. I like a schedule. I like to know what we're doing and when. And I applaud that. I think that that can be a very good thing. You plan your work, and then you work your plan. And without a plan, nothing happens. I get very frustrated working with those right brain creative people that can't keep order. And God bless you all because you're the ones who write the poems and the songs and help sanctify people like me. I applaud my type A-ness. 
Because of my ability to schedule and maintain order, I was able to work full-time and go through college and seminary while working full-time. I was a McDonald's manager. I told you I went through the tribulation period there. And, and we would manage a staff of maybe 24 or so on a Saturday, and we had to fill out these. these I managed a shift, so we had to know who's coming in at what time, who's going on break, who's going on back drive-through, front drive-through, and who's going to be on grill and whatever. And I could just pretty much do it in my head because I like order. It's kind of the way I am. And that can be a good thing until it has to be that way. <laughs> until it has to be that way. And that's when a good thing becomes a hurt habit or hang-up. And believe me, I've had to learn to trust God and trust the peace of Christ, realizing sometimes things don't go the way they're planned. And sometimes when they don't go the way they're planned, it can cause anxiety or anger or frustration. Or if you're working in a car, you end up throwing tools. But not that I've ever done that. But, um, you know... It can lead to that type of stuff. We need to be able to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. And that's what this is all about. And by the way, you're never too old to share your pain with others. I love this. Uh, this guy wrote it. It's called Advice to a Bored Young Man. And it was an article written in 1967. And it communicates how much one person can contribute if only. And this person writes this. Many people reading this page are, re are doing so with the aid of bifocals. Inventor, Ben Franklin, age 79. The presses that printed this page were powered by electricity. One of the first harnessers, Ben Franklin, age 40. Some are reading this on the campus in one of the Ivy League universities. Founder, Ben Franklin, age 45. Some got their copy through the U.S. Mail. It's father, Ben Franklin, age 31. Now think fire. Who started the first fire department? Invented the lightning rod. Designed a heating stove. Still in use today. Ben Franklin, age 31, age 43, age 36. Wit, conversationalist, economist, philosopher, diplomat, printer, publisher, linguist. Spoke and wrote five languages. Advocate of paratroopers from balloons a century before the airplane was invented. All this until age 84 years old. And Ben Franklin had exactly two years of former schooling. It's a good bet you already have more sheer knowledge than Franklin had when he was your age. Perhaps you think there's no use trying to think of anything new this ever, that everything's been done. This writer writes wrong. The simple agrarian America of Franklin's day did not begin to need the answers we need today. This article closes with, go do something about it. America needs the gospel. America needs answers. America needs hope. Don't waste your pain. Don't waste what Christ has done in your life. Yesterday I was at yearly meeting, and I'll be back there tonight. And yesterday the Damascus Friends Church worship band, as well as Alliance Friends, also helped lead worship. And they sang this song that is absolutely beautiful, and hopefully we will be singing it here someday. We're going to play it in just a minute. As you pull it up, just pull it up, but don't hit play. I want to read some of the words here. Um, first verse, who the sun says free. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me. The chorus. Who the Son sets free, oh, is free indeed. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. Verse 2. Free at last, he has ransomed me. His grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. Yes, he died for me. Who the Son sets free, oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. 
In my Father's house is a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you, who God says I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. We are free in Christ. We can celebrate that. We can share that with others. Um, We're going to play this right now, and then I'm going to close in prayer, and we'll sing the closing hymn.
you're in Christ, you're adopted into God's family, and you are a child of God. We can rejoice and celebrate that, and we can make sure we focus on our relationship with God. Let's close in prayer right now. Heavenly Father, we are free in Christ, and we thank you for that. You have set us free. We celebrate that. We worship you. Lord God, I ask that you would help us all living by your Holy Spirit. Help us all walking by the Spirit. Help us all not wasting our pain, but sharing our testimony with others. And we can't do it except the Holy Spirit inside of us, empowering us. The Holy Spirit is our mouthpiece in witnessing to others. And Lord God, if there's anyone here right now who does not have a relationship with you, I ask that today may it be the day of salvation. May today be the day of confessing they're a sinner in need of a Savior. Believing in you as the only Savior. Trusting in you and committing to you. It's all living for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please stand if you're able for the closing hymn. Let's sing the first two verses. I love to tell the story number 219.